everyone. Uh, good, uh, good day to you. I hope you're doing great. Um, my name is Jack Parrock. I'm a presenter and a correspondent based uh, in Brussels, and I'm going to be hosting this discussion today um, regarding mental health matters. We have some guests for you, and one of them is joining already, so I'm going to try and bring everybody in. Hi, Maria. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Really well. Lovely to speak to you. Good great. great. I, I don't know about that. I, I'm, I'm going to uh, apologize, and you know this better than anybody. I'm here in Strasbourg, and if you can hear noise, it's because about 4,000 young people from across the European Union has taken over Strasbourg for the eye. So uh, if you hear screaming, it's it's not from too close to outside. It's just it's down in the cycle, which is great. Uh, yeah, okay, no worries. We can hear you great anyway, so that's that's absolutely wonderful. Um, so I'll just introduce, uh, I'll introduce you, but I'll, I'll let you also introduce yourself. Fabulous, and thanks very much for having me. And, and may I say, in terms of punctuality, as an Irish person, I don't know if we're ever great at this, so I'm really delighted I'm able, I'm able to like put our nation on the map here for, for being on time. Um, but for everybody uh, tuned in and watching or will watch after this, um, my name is Maria Walsh. Um, I'm a young Irish MEP representing quite a large constituency um, of 13 counties, basically the northern half of Ireland by Northern Ireland. Um, I grew up in, uh, in, in community, uh, in talking about and making sure people feel inclusive. So mental health came very much a part of my, my core conversation. And here in the European Parliament, I sit on the employment committee, which, which I know we will get into later on in terms of what work we're doing. I also sit on the culture and education committee, making sure that's a part of, of mental health conversations too, um, and the Liberties and Home Affairs Committee, which is a, a big beast of a committee where mental health definitely sits. So uh, my aim of the game is always just to highlight, talk about, and make sure people feel inclusive into the mental health uh, and wellbeing conversation. So I'm delighted that the EPP um, is making sure that it's also a part of the conversation because we need, we need uh, parties like our own to, to really uh, push out this message and raise as much awareness as we can. Thanks so much, Maria. That was a, a wonderful start while I was pressing all the buttons <laughs> and <laughs> and bringing in. Uh, well, let, let, let's let's speak to you first, Jennifer Orelidis. Excuse me. I'll, I'll let you say your own name <laughs> without, without me butchering it. Uh, who is from Mental Health Europe and an expert on these issues? So thank you so much for joining us, and also Dr. Teresa Teresa, Teresa Dolavera. Thanks so much for being with us as well. But Jennifer, let's let's start with you. Explain a little bit about yourself. I think. If, for, for our viewers who are you and what do you work on and, and, and why is this day important and why is it important that we're having these kind of discussions like we're doing today yes thank you very much and hi everyone uh, who's tuning in today and thank you very much also to MEP Maria Walsh for organizing this event on uh, such a timely and important issue so my name is Jennifer Orelivis, and I'm uh, working for Mental Health Europe, which is a European net non-governmental network organization uh, that represents uh, mental health organizations and individuals on the national level towards the EU. So we function as a kind of mediator between uh, mental health organizations on the national level and represent the interests of people with a mental health problems towards the EU and try to uh, include their rights and needs more into future uh, legislation. And uh, we also work very closely with MEP Walsh, uh, for example, uh, in, within our coalition for mental health and well-being in the European Parliament. Uh, and we are 
extremely grateful for all the great work that MFU Walsh has been doing and continues to do in this regard to uh, raise the issue of mental health higher on the European agenda. And uh, days like tomorrow or occurrences like the World Mental Health Day are such a vital uh, reminder to um, to draw attention uh, to, to the issue of mental health, because especially during the last one and a half years and due to the COVID pandemic, more people than ever have been experiencing mental health problems and in a good way it pushed the topic more into the public realm and started conversations as we are having today and i very much look forward uh, to the discussion and questions also from the viewers i think you're totally right the last sort of year and a half has been the discussions have been like of course your mental health is affected by this and that changes the narrative of needing to to look at it i think to some extent so Teresa, welcome thank you so much for joining us as well i'll give you the opportunity as well to do a, an introduction you work more practically perhaps uh with people uh facing these issues i wonder if you can tell us tell us what you do uh and 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 the, the perspective you're coming from so good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. And thank you, Maria, for inviting me to participate in these discussions. Um, I'm a lecturer at King's College uh, London. Um, I lead Simon Academic. Uh, mm. I've been involved uh, both in research, but also in consultancy work um, in the area of um, health at work, I would say, occupational health, and that includes mental health. Um, I, at King's, I also lead one of the uh, MSCs, and this is a unique MSC, a master's that associates not only the most recent developments in terms of occupational psychology, but also the tradition that King's has of, of um, in the study of mental health. So we combine uh, both areas. Uh, by training, I'm an occupational psychologist, so I'm not a clinician. Um, and uh, by training, I have a big influence of human factors where we usually take a perspective of trying to understand how we can design work and working conditions in a different way. Um, in, in, when we talk about mental health in the workplace, I am particularly interested in trying to understand how we can design work, so the activities that we do, um, and what do we need to change in our working conditions. And I would say that with the pandemic, we had a major change in our working conditions for most of us. Um, so I'm interested in how we can help organizations introduce those changes. Yeah. To start with, that's my Yeah, favorite. yeah. No, we're, we're going to get into this because I think it's, I think it's the, the interplay between our work and our life is fundamental to our, to our mental well-being. So, Maria, I'll come back to you because what, what's interesting here is, um, you know, pol politicians are often sort of seen as people that should be looking at, you know, the issues, the sort of infrastructure, economy, stuff like this. Why is it important for you as, as a politician, as an elected member, to, to focus on issues like mental health and that area of, of, of healthcare of, of citizens? Yeah, and, 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 and I mean, fundamentally, I believe we could have the strongest currency um, and the best trade deal. Um, but if we do not have citizens who can get out of bed in the morning, put their feet on the ground and feel themselves uh, whole uh, and feel themselves connected, 
be it in school, in their community, in work, then we are missing a beat. You know, we, we, we can talk about, and as you say, this political machine that makes a lot of directives, reports, rules, and, and papers happen. But essentially, we have to listen to our constituents who, long before the pandemic, have been crying out for mental health supports. And you'll hear from um, both both uh, fellow fellow panelists here of, of their work, but collectively we have a responsibility. Um, uh, those in uh, privileged positions like myself here in the parliament, um, but also across the European Union to actually start talking about a fundamental issue uh, that our constituents are asking. And I can bring a little bit closer to home to say, yesterday we had a mental health uh, uh, a challenge in the EU youth conversation here in the Parliament. And it was oversubscribed by hundreds of people. Mm. So our younger people are demanding us to have answers for their mental health. Yes, they want free movement. Yes, they want Erasmus Plus programme. Yes, they want access to digital uh, digital jobs in the future and obviously uh, the protection of, of our environment. But they also need to protect their own environment, which is their mental health and well-being. So for me, it has to come down to the citizen in our community. And, and, and it's not just a reactionary care, but it's fundamentally the preventative care that we have, as policymakers have to protect in mind. Because when we talk numbers and, and, and here, here in the parliament, you know too well, we often do like, as you said, lean on the economic side of it. It's cleaner, it's easier, it's less emotive. Um, but 4% of the GDP is going towards the mental health support. So why can't we find preventative care and not just reactive care and actually provide and support our citizens in, in the best European Union that we can create for them and with them? Yeah, it's one of the really interesting things with mental health is like nobody thinks it's a priority until it becomes a crisis, basically. So unless it's ready, there's... Yeah, and, and, and like we've said, COVID has been really confronting for everyone. One of the things that, that Maria just brought up there, Jennifer, was the idea of digitalization. I frequently say I was the sort of, I'm 33 years old, and I was the sort of last generation that grew up without a phone. I got my first phone when I was like 16, I think I had the first phone, and then didn't really have a smartphone until sort of the, midway through my university years. And this is crazy now, the difference that children are being brought up in. Where does digitalization fit with me mental health and what we need to do to protect? How much of a sort of paradigm shift has there been in the last decade or two? Right, so what we observed in the past decade is really, a, as you mentioned, digital transformation of workplaces. And the reality is that many employers and industries were simply not ready for this. And still many organizations lack the resources to implement the required changes. And uh, the digital transformation of work, of course, comes with new mental health risks for employees. And given the fact that we didn't have any safety standards and systems for mental health in place before, digitalization only increased the pressure, the speed, and the workload for workers, especially during the pandemic, where many people uh, work, were working from home, but without providing the necessary support for employees. And uh, yeah, like I said, especially pandemic and lockdowns pushed the workplace culture even more towards digitalization, leading to two main risk factors, which are on the one hand, this overconnectedness, so an expectation to always be online and always be available for work, which also brought about a blurring of lines between the personal and professional life um, and negatively impacted uh, the work-life balance of employees. 
Um, and then also the nature of online communications. Um, I think by now we're all pretty tired of having Zoom conversations and Zoom calls as we have been having for the past few years. And many employees also lacked or it negatively affected their mental health in a sense of feelings of, isolate, of isolation and not being able to socialize with their coworkers anymore. And also sometimes online communication, um, not leaving so much room for managers to also read their employees' body language and see how they are actually doing under all the workload. So one major thing is, or one shift that we've seen definitely is that work communication has changed and also has changed to a speed that either employees nor employers could actually keep up with and put the necessary um, standards in place. And as a last point, I would like to emphasize that often there's a misconception also that it's solely the responsibility of the employee to ensure that their positive mental health and well-being at work, when it's actually the responsibility of employers and governments, civil society organizations and labor organizations to come up with policies and structures because it requires structural changes in the long term. Mm -hmm. And the responsibility cannot solely lie with the employee, but it has to be provided from the employer as we have safety standards in other areas of work. Uh, and I hope it becomes the norm going forward. Yeah, do, do you know what? I just want to say say a little anecdote here, which you, which flagged up, which I thought was so interesting. I did a, a podcast actually for the EPP group about cancer and breast cancer survivors, and a woman was talking about how specifically the mental health of cancer patients has been really difficult in the pandemic because they've they've been on Zoom calls, they do their makeup, they they've making themselves look nice when they're going through pretty hardcore thingy, making themselves look okay, so the bosses think that they're okay on these Zoom calls. And then they come off it and have a really terrible time because that's what we do, don't we, when we're going on camera. Um, and it's been a massive shift in what happens in the workplace where if you see someone, you can visibly see someone is not okay oftentimes. Um, so, so turning to you, Teresa, what, what do you reckon, sticking on this idea, what are the main challenges within the workplace? What are the two, two or three main sort of issues? So the first thing I would mention is that um, when we talk about, uh, at least for me, when we talk about mental health in the workplace, I think there are two different situations. I, I, I usually describe that we go to work with a backpack. That's our emotional backpack where it has, that um, includes all the experiences that we have and it includes our mental health. So we go to work with that backpack and we leave work with that backpack. Um, so the, this goes close to, to what Jennifer was mentioning about the blurring of frontiers. And we have that in our society nowadays. So mental health goes with us to work and comes, comes, comes home uh, with us as well. There are two different, uh, I, I said that two different types of problems regarding mental health. We can talk about individuals that have mental health illness uh, issues or, or mental health disorders and that go to work. And that is in itself a topic that we need to address and the adjustments that we need to do at work to accommodate um, any specific needs that those individuals have. But also mental health issues that emerge directly associated with work and the working conditions. So I would start with that. So for me, mental health in the workplace can be studied, explored, addressed in different ways. It's not just one unique topic uh, that you can design one unique approach. You have to have more than one approach. Um, in terms of the major challenges, um, 
I think we have made, I some, usually summarize the challenges in two main areas. We have challenges associated with the work. The work itself has changed. So I'm a lecturer. So I've continued to lecture during the pandemic. I think the pandemic was um, very good in giving us a snapshot of what can be a completely digitalized world, right? Um, uh, I think as we progress in terms of digitalization, we may use the, the pandemic as a, a, a good case study to see what interventions do we need to do, um, what skills do we need to develop. So I would start by saying our work has changed. So I've continued to lecture, but I lecture in a very different way. And most often, I don't even see my students Right? Mm. So the cameras are off. So to make sure that we have a good connection, cameras are off. We don't consider that as uh, compulsory. So I, I miss that component, that face-to-face interaction that you were, were, you were mentioning. But I think also the tasks themselves have changed. The material, so my, I have to develop new skills just like everybody else. Almost, I, I usually say that I became an academic vlogger because that's what I had to do to prepare the material. And then I interact. I have live sessions like we're having now with my students. So these are completely different uh, skills from the um, uh, skills that we had in a more traditional environment face-to-face. And I I don't think the other occupations are different. So the job in itself um, is different. And some people have adjusted better or feel more comfortable in the digital world and others don't feel as comfortable. So it's a question of how how can we develop our skills? And I, I would highlight something that's, um, also, we have discussed uh, in, in the work group with uh, Maria, which are the, our digital social skills. Mm. Um, and you've mentioned that as well. So when we interact with someone, just by the expression, the facial expression, we can already infer what is the mood of the person we are interacting with. Um, in a digital world, we don't necessarily see that. So how do we do small talk in a digital mm. world, right? So this is one of the areas that I think we really need to address. Um, so the job is one area. The second area that I would consider are the working conditions. And here I would start by just a reminder that most of our organizations are small and medium organizations. Uh, They do not necessarily have the resources to address the mental health issues um, and they need help. They need um, governments, um, professional bodies um, and other stakeholders to support them as we do this transition to a more digitalized world. And the same applies to mental health. So we cannot expect uh, organizations to have a clinician um, or an expert in mental health that can support them in this transition. So I'll start by saying these two main areas. The workspace itself has changed. It's as if now we are one, we are also part of the, of the workspace. It, it, everything became mobile. We can work from everywhere at any time with all the changes that this brings. 
Yeah. It's, 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 it's been, uh, so I work as a journalist, so my life has often been quite mobile and, um, and I've had to confront this quite a lot myself in the past, but obviously much more. And I think it's really interesting, um, this idea that we are never turning off. This is one of the issues um, that, that I think everybody struggles with. L- yesterday, I was actually having like a treatment and my phone wasn't near me. And I was like, oh, what if my, I'm like, to have your treat, like it's a shot, I've got a bad shoulder. You know what I mean? Just look after yourself. This is not important. If work comes in, you have to, you have to let it go. So, so Maria, when we, when we talk about employers though, it was interesting what Teresa was saying there. Not all employers can have some sort of, you know, corporate structure, mental well-being clinician in their, in their place that everyone can turn to and they can have group sessions or do whatever they need or even can afford to sort of, subcontract or, or, you know, give their employees health benefits that would allow them sort of mental health care. What can you do? What can, what can either EU member countries or, or parliamentarians like you do to change that situation? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and to that point, you know, not everybody, uh, exactly as you said, can have full-time talk therapist on site or close by. Um, not all employees equally want to engage with top therapies and, and we have to respect that also. Um, you know, when we have, when because I've been asked this question once or twice before and I often think about um, as an LGBTQI individual myself, you know, in 2015, Ireland seemed great waves of change in terms of the marriage equality referendum being passed. And a number of organizations, businesses, large and small, uh, then started talking about diversity and inclusion and that belonging piece. And how do we DNI report? How are we making sure we're above board and, and our work practices are, are above board? And that has to be the same uh, within, within a mental health space for a workplace too. That employer, employers and employees have to work hand in hand at making sure they're being as inclusive in towards building a, a safe culture for each individual to share who they are and, and, and where they're coming from. And ultimately, and as a team leader myself uh, of an office, you know, I have to be vulnerable in order to ensure that my staff feel safe within that mental health conversation too. So um, we have an ownership and we, we have a responsibility. From the European Parliament side, um, we're doing a lot of work in, in, in the Employment and Social Affairs Committee. Uh, one that would have, uh, would Ireland actually would have just introduced through Connish uh, of Radker was the right to disconnect that had passed through. We still have a number of countries that have that are not uh, buying into that quite yet, and I think that's a really, really important um, directive to bring in. But not just pass; we also have to talk about what does the right to disconnect mean. Um, you know, uh, my staff, uh, I really encourage them to be off Slack. We use Slack as a platform and emails by a certain time, and not, you know, not to be online. So, i.e., to your point, uh, Jack, if they are in. Uh, a personal appointment or they're in personal time that they're switching off um, mm. and they're really switching off and, and, and in themselves. But and it's hard to time, do that, right? That's the thing. It's, it's hard time. mentally for us to do that. I, I talk a big game. But <laughs> yeah. and, and to be honest with you, that's why I love these type of conversations because every conversation around mental health and well-being, I learn a little bit more about what I need to do in order to gift uh, what, when I talk and how I talk to myself internally has to be better and more positive and more full of self-care. And what does the self-care look like and, and different steps and mechanisms? And I will just say from an employment side, I'm really, really excited uh, to be, uh, first and foremost, that the European Parliament is taking on a file 
called Mental Health in the Digital Workspace. That is extremely exciting. Um, I'm also excited to be the EPP rapporteur on that um, and meeting with the likes of Jennifer and Tressa to ensure that we are not just, we're speaking to all experts, those in the organization there, that the, the grassroots conversations that people are having so that we are ensuring that our amendments, our legislation, and hopefully what, when the commission takes it on and the council approves it, that we have a strong blueprint across the European Union around mental health uh, and well-being. And my final point in this one is uh, something a young person said yesterday to me. Uh, he's studying to be uh, a doctor. And he said, um, he goes, every January 1st, we go into our local gyms and we ask for a 10-point physical health plan. Why aren't we asking for a 10-point mental health plan? And that's something that if, if anybody watching here, be it, you know, switching off your phone at a certain time, turning off your emails, um, making sure you're getting outside, making sure your three o'clock appointment is, is going for a walk outside, uh, less social media at certain points, uh, meditation, talk therapy, you know, that's just about six or seven there. Um, but are we as employers and employees looking at that uh, type of simplistic uh, steps that we can take and, and, of course, keep the pressure on us here in the European Parliament Commission and Council to ensure that we are continuing on our work in, within the mental health. It's not seen as a competency yet. But listen, I have to, I have to say yes. Uh, She's got plans. With that, yeah, you have to be audacious in your hope uh, for making mental health a, a number one uh, point within the, uh, within the European Union. I think it's, it's so important that, that it just becomes a normalised conversation. I'm actually quite lucky. I'm from, my mother is quite hot on this stuff. And so as a child, I've, I've had bouts of periods of going through therapy myself. I, I think having no shame about those sort of discussions, about making sure it's like going to see the doctor. That's essentially the whole point that people are just talking about it. So I'll come, come in to you, to you, Jennifer. This um, is kind of what Maria was talking about there. The sort of, we've talked a little bit about the employers, but the employees, what, what should people themselves be doing um, to make sure they're safe in the workplace, make sure they're protected, make sure, should they know, should they be told their rights? Should they be searching themselves? I wonder where, where that balance lies for you from the employee perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. So as I mentioned previously, at Mental Health Europe, we see the responsibility of ensuring positive mental health more with the employer. But then again, knowing the reality of current working conditions, mm. uh, we released a series of short guides on how people can look after their mental health during the pandemic. Um, and there are, we list a couple of tips. Um, some of them Maria already mentioned. But as a first step, we always recommend people to increase their mental health literacy. So to educate themselves about mental health and how they can look after their mental health. And as a first step, I think, as you just mentioned, Jack, to also recognize and understand the importance of mental health and to prioritize it equally to physical health. And that's what we call the parity of esteem. And to realize that, you know, we all have mental health, like we all have physical health, and it is just as important as your physical health. And as you mentioned, you know, you shouldn't feel more at all ashamed to go to a psychologist, like you don't feel ashamed to go to the hospital for a broken leg. Um, But I think there's still a lot of anti-stigma work that we need to do in that regard. But Carry on, sorry, sorry. But as a list of uh, recommendations or tips that we have collected for people to that they can apply in their daily lives, 
Uh, for example, to follow a daily routine, especially if you're working from home, uh, exercising, eating healthy, getting enough sleep. So very basic activities that are often overlooked and neglected, but that have a fundamental positive impact on your mental well-being. Then also reaching out to others, whether that's a virtual call with a loved one or meeting a colleague or a friend over a lunch or a coffee. And also sharing your concerns. So talking to someone that you trust, whether that's a therapist or your partner or your friend and talking about your concerns and worries um, and probably finding that you're not the only one and that other people share your concerns and that you're also not alone in your experience. So just just on that though, one of the things when you look at the workplace, Jennifer, is that the issue is, is there's this nervousness within the workplace that saying you're not okay will be a weakness do you see what I mean professionally and also that you could get in trouble with your like if it's something the employer is essentially doing then it's some it's it's you sort of confronting them with that and if you're in a place of not particularly strong mental health that can be a difficult thing to do I wonder if you can if you can sort of explain explain the sort of pathways out of that perhaps if you have any suggestions, I know yes. it's tough. <laughs> no, of course, that hits the nail on the head exactly because often that's not the reality that you have the opportunity to to share how you're really feeling and that you might need mental health support. And ideally, of course, this should come from, from the manage, management position. Mm-hmm. And I think what I can say to that is, you know, no matter, and of course, some people don't have the luxury for that, but no matter um, the job you're doing, that your mental health comes first, you know, and that you need to be mentally like every aspect of your life. And there's no point in you um, getting mentally ill or getting mental, experiencing mental ill health and in the long term not being able to, to work anyway. And I'm, I'm aware that I speak from a very privileged position and for many people that is simply not the reality. Um, and for them, I would recommend to, um, you know, if you are in a situation that you cannot leave a work that is stressful, that is not good for your mental health, try to find ways outside of work to kind of counteract that, which is, of course, not uh, a good solution in the long term but for the situation being and that can be peer support groups uh, where you share with other people who are experiencing similar situations and where you can exchange best practices and tips Um, then talk therapies are something that you might consider they can also be very helpful I would also like to point to uh, Mental Health Europe's map of European helplines that we collected at the beginning of the pandemic uh, with the support of our members from over 30 countries where we collected uh, national mental health helplines you know for people in crisis uh, so yeah and then again like trying to structure your workday in between to kind of counteract you know the negative impacts you might experience because of your work which can be like Maria mentioned integrating into your routine to go for a walk because there are countless studies that show that spending time in nature uh, even simply you know going for a walk in the wa- in the park has immediate positive impacts on your mental health and uh, can reduce stress and anxiety levels so yeah it's just it's really small things often can really change perspective as well and i think that's something you know th- easy simple things that we can do for ourselves i um in december last year I, I know this is a weird thing we and i know this is a privileged thing to be able to do we got a dog and it has completely changed my life <laughs> honestly it's a happiness and a, a love that is just a, a small just any kind of animal as well can you know he's just been amazing in our household i can't explain how much how important he's been so 
Teresa, I'll move on to you. So I, I'll talk about my dog at any opportunity. So I'll get him in there. <laughs> I was just to start talking about my two Highland heifers because I, while I didn't get a dog, I got two Highlands. So I hear you on that. They bring so much joy. <laughs> yeah, you just look and you just think that the world is a good place with animals, yeah. you know. Um, so, Teresa, well, can, can I just add something to that? Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I think that at the moment we find several recommendations and that in itself sometimes also works as a pressure it's almost as if i have to go through a list and and and, and just you know tick all the all the items in the list i think yeah yeah this is a process of self discovering Mm. You need to find what works for you. So we know in terms of research that um, you, work and working conditions can contribute to your mental health. Um, but it also it is also what happens when you're not working. So when you are recovering, how do you disconnect? Um, and for me, talking about the personal experiences, I need to have hobbies that are as engaging and as intensive as my daily activities. If they are not as engaging and as intensive, it is very hard for me to disconnect from work. So this is a process that I think we have to go through. It can be with the path. That's perfectly fine. It can be a walk in the nature. Lots of people um, prefer to do physical exercise because that is also a very powerful way of disconnecting from work um, and the concerns about work. And the notifications, I think that none of us has mentioned, these constant notifications and um, how reluctant we are to just turn the notifications off just in case something comes along. I will mention that there's two topics that I wanted to mention here that um, uh, we have addressed in terms of research. One is techno stress. So this pressure of constantly developing new skills, upgrading equipment, and that we experience that and the constant need to be available so that that would be one topic that that uh, I would refer, and I would refer to a specific initiative that I usually highlight, which is the email charter, because we have all gone digital email. We're just bombarded with emails, and quite often we just send emails at all times. It doesn't really matter. Then we leave it up to them receiver to decide when they want to read the email but actually the email charter brings that responsibility back to us send an email at a time that is most convenient if it is a work email then you send it during working hours and not as i often have one in the morning two in the morning or really early like six in the morning because that is the time that may be more convenient for my students that are all over the world so it some of it brings the responsibility uh, back to us but i think it also brings the responsibility to organizations what can organizations do in terms of work practices that change this so if you don't receive in, in any way, you cannot receive notifications from work outside of working hours. You are reducing that pressure to respond. Because mm. I, I agree with what has been mentioned here in terms of stigma, in terms of self-stigma, mm. and the concerns that 
often, if not always, um, we have with self-disclosure uh, and the impacts that we may have in terms of our career, in terms of job security, what will happen without our contracts, the opportunities that we may have or not based on the disclosure that we do. So mm. that also is not only... I don't want this to be a discussion just about individual accountability. There's organizational accountability. Mental health has to be part of the, a healthy work environment. That has to be part of the objectives of an organization. Mm. So we're very good in addressing physical health and have regulations for that. But we are not as good in terms of mental health. I work in a couple of teams. Um, I do. I sort of work for lots of different things. And one one of the groups that I set, um, that I work in said, "Everybody, let's all turn off the blue ticks on our WhatsApps so that nobody knows if it's red. Like we're fine for everybody to do that." And I did it, and it's completely changed my life. It's removed this like I need to respond to these people. I leave things unread. I go back to them when I'm ready. A lot of journalistic work is done through through WhatsApp messages and stuff, and it's it really really helped me. Just just a notch down the pressure, like that person's seen that I've read it, and now I have to do this straight away. Yeah. Just one minor thing, and I re respond in due time always, and when I need to, whatever. Um, staying, staying with you, Teresa, I think it really, it, I, when you were talking earlier, I don't know if you mind me think, uh, talking about this, but I think it's, what you were talking about, the digitalization of COVID and your lectures, that must, it must have been very confronting for your students to be studying mental health while going through a really difficult mental health crisis of, in the whole of society. How do you deal with that? Did, was that particularly sort of meta for them? Or I don't know. And for you I think as well. It does, but, you know, I think we have this idea just because you study an area that you somehow are immune to that area. So just yeah. because you study mental health in the workplace, you actually do not experience any problems in mental health mm. in the workplace. Um, uh, I think it was particularly challenging for the students um, for different reasons. Um, we are a very international uh, group. So I had students all over the world. Um, and I think even though we were connected, uh, there was a lot of isolation and loneliness, the experience of isolation and loneliness. When you are in a lecture, you can... You can have a direct contact with the lecturer, but you also have a contact with your colleagues. And um, I, had, uh, I have two students that did their MSc dissertation in this area, and one focused on work-life balance and, and the other one on relationships. Young people. And young people seem to uh, develop their coping mechanisms through the social interaction. So if you remove the social interaction, you no longer have that support network. 
right? We also have to remember that these young professionals quite often are no longer living with, with their families, so they are on their own, um, often sharing their household with other, other people that are not necessarily the ones that are part of their support network. So when you remove the interactions, you, you, you actually have those experiences of loneliness and isolation. And I, I can share my, my experience that I had a lot of teams call, a lot of teams call. So instead of having the meetings on campus, I would have them online. And quite often students were I, 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 I could see that I was the first person, like the real person they were speaking to that day. That's the level of loneliness. So being on your own, um, uh, quite often just in a room, right, with pressures from the families that I can understand. My own family also had those concerns of how are you doing? Uh, try to avoid going out, protect yourself. So you could see that. Um, and the support, and this is why I've mentioned our social skills, digital social skills. How can we provide the support? Because we know the interactions, the face-to-face are a wonderful source of support. But if we don't no longer have the interactions face-to-face, how can we create the same type of support in a more digital world? And for me, I think that that would be a key area to develop if we are considering that the workplace will have more and more digitalization. Where is the support coming from? It's, it's going to be the dilemma of our generation to come, unfortunately. This is the, this is the massive issue. Listen, we, we booked you out for 30 minutes um, and we've already gone, gone over that. And I know, uh, I, think, uh, I think Jennifer already had to drop off. So thank you so much to her. Maria, I know that you're busy down there in Strasbourg. So thank you so much for joining us as well. And Teresa, no, no, thank you. Can I, can, really, I really, can I just really interrupt go, really quick? I just want go, to please. ask there about, uh, from one of the chat uh, about legislation. Uh, this Mental Health File and ah. Employment Committee is going to really allow us as legislators to begin to push that envelope out. We have two mental health uh, uh, MEP groups here in the Parliament, one a coalition, one an alliance. We cross work all the time. We do a lot of work with mental health reform. We also do a lot of health, uh, work with GAMI in Europe too. Um, we are curating and really working to create a European Year of Good Mental Health, which will hopefully... Uh, uh, pass in 2023 and allow for more of these conversations and essentially how do we liaise uh, with experts, with media, with uh, communities, with legislators right across the European Union and really put the pressure on the Commission and Council and us in the Parliament and ultimately the finance ministers and each member state to make sure they're constantly thinking about a mental health reform uh, and, and financial input and that would really just um, that's just a couple of the things we're working on. But yeah, just just keep an yeah. eye on the two mental health groups and, and a lot more work to be done, of course. Uh, but we're certainly moving in the right way when we have folks like yourself and the EPP opening up these conversations more and more. So thank you. Yeah, um, I actually, if, if, if you have to run, you can run if you've yeah. got somewhere to go. But I, I, there is one, one thing I wanted to perhaps ask you, Teresa. If you, if you need to drop off, you can just drop off and we'll say goodbye. But um, Teresa, where, where can the EU fit in here where can they you've outlined 
some really clear issues and confrontations. But what from your and we've heard what Maria's doing in the parliament with the groups and the and the calls, etc. But wh- where do you see that the the sort of political body that is the EU? What what can it do? So for me, there's one area that um, I think is really important. So I've mentioned already that most of our organizations are small and medium organizations. Uh, from my area of studies, I would also mention organizational culture. And in some organizations, you actually cannot talk about uh, mental hey. health. <laughs> Jennifer is back. <laughs> so you don't... You, you, if you talk, I mean, you can talk about mental health, but it's if the reaction is usually that, you know, mental health issues are for the health services, they're not for an organization to deal with. Um, so the terms mental health um, are very hard to integrate in the culture of the organization. But if you talk about psychological well-being and the impacts that that has in our work behavior, in our productivity, that can already be accepted in a more constructive way. Mm. my view, I always see mental health as part of occupational health. You have physical and you have mental health. So whatever is the strategy that an organization has in terms of occupational health has to include mental health. So for me, when you're asking me how do I see a body as the EU, um, what can they do? I think just as we have clear recommendations in terms of physical health, we can also have clear recommendations in terms of mental health. Um, And I've mentioned previously that, um, I mean, organizations have productivity goals. Why, Why don't we have also occupational health goals? We have them in terms of physical health and how we can evaluate risks. We can also evaluate psychosocial risks. But more than this, and this is something that I've mentioned in, in the work group with, with Maria, is I would like to see almost like a 360 evaluation of the work that is developed. So what works if you develop an intervention, if you have a support group, um, go back to the workers and really try to assess if you have improvements, if that has had a positive impact in their mental health, in their well-being, in their levels of stress, in the way they interact with their colleagues, with their supervisors. There's this final push in trying to understand the impact of the interventions that we develop that I think is quite important. So there's um, a, a role that I think bodies such as the EU can play and cascade down the information to support, uh, create guidelines and support for the different organizations to develop and to implement. This this is exactly it, and the whole the whole point in the European Union is that you only have to do it once, and then and it goes to twenty seven countries, right? You can make a solid, nice idea, implement it. It can be easy for for employers to understand. That's fundamental in issues of mental health as well. I think that everyone's clear and open, and it can be done. Um, I wonder. Welcome back, Jennifer. I, I think you had some connection issues, so we're carrying on. I know we we only sort of booked everybody for half an hour, but I, I'll just keep on t- talking to you. Just just one final question on this for you, Jennifer. Wh- which stakeholders 
are the most important or should be involved? Who, who are the people that can really overhaul the, the system for the better uh, in, in workplace mental health? Well, at Mental Health Europe, um, we put people with lived experience of mental health problems at the center of everything we do. And this concept is called co-creation. And we very strongly advocate for any future mental health policies from the EU that you need to actively involve experts by experience. Um, and you cannot exclude them from the conversations or development of such policies that in the end will affect them as well. Um, so that would be, I think, in my eyes, the most important stakeholder that is often overlooked also in these discussions, you know, uh, or not considered as relevant enough maybe from, uh, from government uh, officials. And then, of course, you have, uh, you know, the as we already discussed extensively today, uh, the employer side, um, you know, civil society organizations uh, that support the rights represent the rights of, of workers as well as trade unions, uh, labor organizations. Uh, so really bring it to, together or bring into the table uh, all the different stakeholders. Um, but in, in the first line, and that is often overlooked, I would like to emphasize really people with lived experience um, because they will know best, uh, you know, how the workplace or the work culture that we have at the moment is negatively impacting the mental health and what needs to be done also to change that going forward. So true. And one of the things with mental health, I always think, is you, you, people don't always know what's wrong. And I think this is where the lived experience thing is. You, you don't have to, if you're not doing well, you don't always necessarily know the reason for it. You just don't feel great. And, and, and I think, you know, and employers often want like, what is wrong with you? Unless you can prove that something is, you know, then that's, there's not good so enough you, to see. You know, organizations sometimes don't know what is right. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> what, what, what can we do? What can we do? Yeah, to talk to each other and talk openly and fairly and even-handedly and with kindness, right? That's the first step of everything. Listen, guys, I will wrap this up because I think we could we could go on all day. But I just I, I find this personally extremely um, interesting and important that we're having these conversations and appreciate all of you speaking openly. And for anyone that's watching, um, if you are facing any mental health issues yourself, reach out speak to somebody get help uh and and if you're having issues in the workplace as well uh you know try try and try and make a change and i just encourage you to follow all of these these lovely women that have joined us on on this on this conversation today so i wish you a wonderful rest of your day cheers maria cheers jennifer and cheers teresa thank you thank you, thank you. Bye. Bye.